Hey, Nick. Hey, Jeff. What's going on? I'm getting ready to light up a bishop. I just had myself a gator. Are you guys tired of hearing us say this? We're sick and tired of playing this. We are. And why don't we record it? We just keep doing it live every I time. I don't know. You guys just need to go over to martinascigars.com and pick up some bishops and gators. Yeah. Make us happy. Yeah. We'll stop playing this if you guys yeah. just buy our cigars. Tell you what, we'll make you a deal. What's that? If they go and buy the bishop and gator, we're going to do this podcast for free for them. There we go. Go buy bishops and gators. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another sermon from the Cigar Pulpit. I'm the Bishop of the Bird, Nick, and with me, as always, it's Gator. And with us, we have Nick Solopoulos from J.C. Newman. Now, Nick here was kind enough to give us the tour of El Rey Lowe today out here in beautiful Tampa, Florida. And How are a, you? What a heck of a tour it was. Yeah. It's another I, beautiful day in Cigar City, a 110-year-old factory, and I'm glad you guys enjoyed the tour. It's it's truly amazing and very special to be here. Um, you know, there's such rich culture here, and you guys were able to experience it, and we're the last functioning cigar factory in America. So You did such a fantastic you, you job really did. on the tour. I mean, it was a lot of history, a lot of um, passion of the of the project or the product and the and the method in which it all comes together but it was it was fascinating and the what was really nice is as we're going through you know you pointed out all the things that you found really interesting too kind of showing that you know this isn't just a job yeah. you know you're coming into this and you're really really into this yeah i mean the newmans truly care about care about their employees and it's just an amazing place to work um everybody's tour is a little bit different and i think that that's kind of where you get to like make your own fun with it. Like everybody, mostly the marketing department, but we all kind of give really good tours, but some people are focused more on the architecture, whereas some people are more focused on Tampa history. And then other people are more like cigar based, which is kind of, I'd like to meet somewhere in the middle where you get like the coolest parts about the building. You get and mostly JC Newman history, but some Tampa history. Yeah. But I come from a cigar background, so that's, you know, where I excel in the tour, so definitely. Yeah. Well, we are smoking a variety of we are. sticks from J.C. Newman down today. So I am smoking this uh, special brick house that I bought a box of. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so the brick house Ciento por Ciento is exclusive to uh, TAA stores, uh, the Tobacco Association of America. Um, so you can only buy those here and at TAA stores. What's cool about that cigar is it uses a Corojo seed grown in Nicaragua as opposed to the Ecuadorian Havana seed wrapper that is on the regular production brick house. Ciento por Ciento translates to 100% and you get a 100% Nicaraguan brick house. Fantastic. It's a Puro. And then, Jeff, what are you smoking? I am, well, Nick, I'll let you tell everybody what I'm smoking. Yeah, so Jeff is smoking the Cuesta Ray Centro Fino Sun Grown, which is um, a Sumatra seed grown in Ecuador. And it's actually a sun-grown Sumatra, but we harvest the leaves from the center of the tobacco plant where the best wrappers come from. So it's got a very consistent, sweet and salty flavor to it. It's got some hints of coffee and wood underneath, but it's very like thick smoke, very rich, flavorful cigar, medium-bodied. 
um, the brick house that you're smoking, that's going to have a little bit of a bite to start off with. But if you do the nice cold draw on it, I think you get some like fig undertones to it as well. That Corojo kind of yields some dark fruit from there. Awesome. We'll be getting to that in just a second. So what? Are, what you're about halfway on your cigar. We pulled you away from work for a minute, so and we'll have to let you get back to work, I'm sure. But but uh, what are you smoking there? So I'm smoking the Questeray 95. Um, it used to be made at this factory. Um, I think as of 1991, it, uh, production of the Questeray 95 moved to the Fuente factory. But this um, was Stanford Newman. Uh, this was his like his brainchild here. This was the, uh, the flagship premium cigar after the Cuban embargo. It was the first cigar in the United States to ever use an African Cameroon wrapper. After the embargo, Stanford went to... Uh, European tobacco auctions and found the Cameroon wrapper at the auctions and actually started using it on this cigar first. Um, so the Questray 95 was the first Cameroon wrapper cigar in the U.S. Um, and it saved the entire premium cigar industry for us, at least. That's why this cigar is pretty much a reason why we have home of Questray cigars on the top of our building. Nice. Um, but it's the same way it was made back when it first came out. Uh, old school Lonsdale shape. Um, the name uh, actually comes from Chanel Number no. Five, Stanford. Huh? Yeah, interesting. Really big on that. Add, so. Adding a little bouginess to the he, cigar. Stanford, huh? <laughs> Stanford. Yeah, he was. He was a very social, classy man for sure. Interesting. Back when Stanford ran the factory, everybody had to wear a three-piece suit. And really? here I am wearing like a Nike polo diamond crown shirt. So that's okay. How the times we're, have changed. We're both in, you know, shorts and flip flops, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, we're going to go ahead and cut and light our cigars and get going. Uh, we'll let you get back to work and everything, but we really appreciate you taking time out to we, tell us a little bit about spent, the cigars. We have spent hours with Nick we and have. it has just been delightful the whole time. It we learned so much here, and we can't thank you enough. Seriously, it's it was been a pleasure, our pleasure, guys. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. We're happy to have you. Yeah, speak for the Newmans as well. And the tour, the tours. I think we will get to this later too. But the tours start up in earnest next week. If I'm not, or well, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, by the time this episode drops, the tours will have technically started. Yes. So, so yeah. folks can head on over to jcnewman.com and sign up and and uh, get going with those tours. And you'll be giving some of those tours? Yeah, some of the tours, yeah. We actually have like a like a, a history major on staff that actually is a little bit better with dates. And uh, and what and, is his uh, name? Holden. Yeah, Holden. So oh, we met Holden yeah, earlier. Yeah, he's yes. the other gentleman that's been downstairs with yeah, you. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Holden uh, goes to USF. Um, he's a grad student there. History major, really into like dates and world history and stuff like that. Um, so... Yeah, but what, no matter which tour you like, yeah, if you're more of a cigar smoker, like I can give you more cigar knowledge on the tour, but he's better with like dates and factual knowledge and stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. Now, before we let you go, totally separate subject. You used to work at King Corona Cigars in Ybor City. That's correct, yes. Tell us I, a little bit about working in Ybor City, because we went by King Corona last night and had a, a couple of sticks and dinner. And we'll probably have a whole other episode I was all say, about yeah. Ybor City, because it's, you know, we were just overwhelmed by it. Yeah, so definitely, so I, I you know, that's pretty much where I got my foot in the door in the cigar industry. Hey, you have a lot of cigar knowledge. Yeah, I started working at King Corona part-time and then i worked my way up to full-time and then eventually uh the original owners retired um new owner took over and i started doing all the ordering 
and running the store and dealing with all the reps and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of like furthered my knowledge there, but I was pretty much like the nighttime. I worked at night as well as like did all the ordering for the store and stuff. And Ebor City at night, sometimes it's pretty dicey down there. So <laughs> I will say I sold a lot of acid cigars after midnight. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was funny. We were there and it was really calm and we we're having a good time. And we, you know, we had been to, at that point, I guess it was our third cigar shop. Yeah. And. We started noticing the streets started getting a little louder. And right little, about 10 o'clock. Yeah, when, uh, a little more lively. When, when the place we were at, and I'm blanking on the name right now, when they shut down, uh, right at 10 o'clock, we kind of scooted out. And yep. It, it was a significantly different street at 10 than when we had gotten to that place probably about eh, 8.45 or yeah. so. Yeah. And imagine without the pandemic, how crazy it oh, would be. Oh, yeah. Only, well, I, we were told it was college night. And Jeff was like, well, college girls? Wait, wait, what? You know, <laughs> so, but it, yeah. Yeah. Way I, <laughs> I was always, we always said it was, uh, it was the younger crowd on Friday night. And then it was like the older swinger group on Saturday night. Like, that's pretty much <laughs> oh, what There you go. Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Good to okay. say. Yeah. Um, well, now you know, Jeff. Saturday nights when you Saturday need to nights. Go yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, working in Ebor is definitely special. I like to think that I got a lot of uh, people educated on cigars and maybe generated a few uh, new cigar smokers and gave them a really good first experience down there. That now they're buying cigars daily or occasionally or something like that. So I think that was you know pretty good. That's fantastic. Well, and I'll tell you, you gave us a lot of knowledge. Just today, in the couple three hours we were with you, that we we can't thank you enough for. Yes, seriously, man, it, this has been great. Awesome, I'm glad you guys enjoyed your enjoyed yourself. Such a pleasure. I hope you enjoy your time in Tampa, and uh, yeah, fantastic. That's awesome. Well, Nick, we'll, Nick, we'll let you get again. back to work. Yes, exactly. All right. Again, that was our new friend Nick with uh, the J.C. Newman Company. Thanks, Nick. For sure. Well, Jeff, why don't we go ahead and get our cigars cut and lit? I've already got mine out of the cellophane. That's good. Didn't I want to be obnoxious. Didn't here. want to be in obnoxious the in the factory. Yeah, exactly. I got you. I didn't want to piss them off that bad. <laughs> well, it's time that we go ahead and cut the cigar. And the official cutting is brought to you by Riverman Cigar Company of Crestwood, Missouri. Our man Dan over there at Riverman, since we're sitting here in El Rey Low recording this episode up on the third floor, right outside where they roll the American, Dan has a wide variety of of jc newman cigars he does you can go by there you can pick up all sorts of things in fact we had a box from the yagua that dan is now sold out of but um who, who isn't yeah exactly but he had a uh a box that he had on display because dan likes to collect the the cigar boxes and so um he sent the box down with us and we were able to get that autograph for him from uh eric and bobby newman and so that's awesome. dan will be adding that to the collection when we get back but but seriously guys head on over to riverman cigar company get your jc newman cigars sit outside on that 1500 square foot covered patio that way you can social distance but still get your uh social time in with your friends over there at riverman and don't forget that if you are not in the st louis area or swinging through the st louis area Dan does mail orders. So all you got to do is just call him up. He will put in an order for you, and he will get that sent to you right away. So that's Riverman Cigar Company of Crestwood, Missouri. And you know what? I think it's time to go ahead the cigar and cut the cigar. So all right, I have to borrow your cutter. Of course you will. And the sad thing is, I've got like three or four cutters on me, but they're all packed away now. (laughs) They are packed away. (laughs) It's it's true. So thank you. I did a V cut on this. You did a V. You know what? I'm going to go V as well. 
Are you? Because why not? I don't know. I mean, you have the option of going either way. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> I mean, some may say that Jeff goes both ways. I don't know, but anyway. I like the V-cut and the straight cut. All right. Well, what are you getting on your cigar? You have okay. the, the Cuesta Ray. You're doing a cold draw there. I am getting it. Nick was right. I am getting like a fig. There's a sweetness, like almost like a like a tart raisiny sweetness or something to yeah. this brick house. And um, yeah, it's really good. It's it's almost like okay. I'm and and Nick is actually still here with us, so you can tell me if I'm well. <laughs> I'm almost getting like almost a cognac flavor off of this. Yeah, there's a lot of sugars in that cigar. It gets like sweet and salty at points. Yeah, that's really yeah, that's really and this is the first time I've ever had this. That's really interesting. Now, one thing that we do is we also do the cold retro hail, which is a thing now. So, Nick, you want to do yours first? Do you want to mic back up while we're doing this real quick? <laughs> do you want in on this mat- wackiness? Right. Nick was going to get back to work, but he wanted he desperately. Was, he was sucked to, in. He, he was sucked in and wanted to hear what we were going to say about the cigars. So so now he's sucked back into the wackiness. So, <laughs> so okay. So Like I said, it's almost a cognac-type flavor. Um, but I get that sugar. I get that a lot. And I can taste that. It's really weird. It's almost like... Um, like kettle corn. It's got that salty and that sweet flavor all at the same time. Okay. I'm not saying it tastes like kettle corn, but it's got that salt and s- sweet and salty. Okay. Well, why don't you? I, I mean, I, I get the kind of figgy, tart, raisiny kind of thing going on with mine, as I said. You're cold retro? not getting anything on that. I, I just, I still contend that that's kind of some crap. Still getting know. the cognac flavor. Cold I mean, retro hail. I am not familiar with Oh, it's with a that. thing, man. He Who has, started this? Him. Thing? Okay, him. Jeff started it. Okay. He has started <laughs> He contends that basically you do the retro hail, but you do it before you light the cigar. And my thing is, how do you retrohale without any smoke? No, what you do is you breathe in just like you would a cold draw, but you blow it out through your nasal passages. Yeah. And not every cigar, it won't happen every time, but on some of them, you get completely distinct, different flavor notes from it. And I've got people that back me up on this. Nick, Nick knows, and it drives him nuts. I will try it next time I cut and light a cigar, so probably this evening, and I'll let you guys know on social media. Please. Sounds I'm, good. I am, I'm like, very, I try to have, like, a very good palate and really, like, get into tasting cigars, and I'm a big fan of retrohaling. Um, I think retrohaling is, like, the only way to really experience a cigar. I've a gotten better with intensity. it. To its fullest. I've gotten sure. better with it, but he I'm not going to lie. I normally hack up a long one. And, and he'd pass out, and then I had to do the show by myself for 20 minutes. So I actually like took like the um, Tobacconist University class or whatever. Oh, did with, you? With like, IPCPR. Yeah. Or now it's PCA. And uh, so I'm like, a, I was like a certified retail tobacconist as of like three years ago. And how I learned to do it is through their curriculum. They described it as... Um, Half of the motion of swallowing. So if you do like the first motion of swallowing and open up that little thing back there, I think the ret- like it's called retronasal olfaction or something like that. Really okay. long, probably made up word, but the <laughs> <laughs> cigar word. But it works. It does hey, work. Hey, as long as it works. Interesting. Well, I have lit my cigar. I am lighting mine as we speak. <coughs> okay. So that Corojo will get you. That there, Corojo there will make you cry. There is some definite pepper. Yeah. 
and spice to the uh, the brick house. This is the I keep wanting to look this up. It's the Ciento Por Ciento. Yes, Ciento All right. Por Ciento. Ciento Por Ciento. And uh, there is definitely some spice to the retro hail on this thing. And and there's a little bit it's like tingling on the tongue too. It's like hanging on the tongue, just kinda not not oppressive, but it just kind of is there and kind of dancing. Like it's it's letting me know that I'm smoking something with some balls. Now yeah. Nick, I'm glad you're still with us because I can't pronounce this cigar and I'm gonna be locked up on it. It's I, Questa Ray. Questa Like you're on Ray. a quest. Like you're on a like a quest. So Questa uh, Ray. Ray. A Ray. Questa Ray was a, a originally a Cuban brand started by uh Angel Cuesta and Peregrino Ray in 1884. Um, Stanford Newman bought the brand in 1958, um, shortly after J.C. passed away. Carl Cuesta, his um, daughters didn't want anything to do with the cigar industry, so he sold the brand to Stanford under the stipulation that it would always remain a premium cigar. Um, the Centrofino that you're smoking, Jeff, is actually our most popular Cuesta Ray right now. And uh, I'm sure you can tell why. Oh, it's good. Yeah. And the sweet remains. I did a uh, cold, or I did a retro hail, and if you notice, I didn't cough. Um, just want to point that out. But uh, there was a little bit of pepper, but almost more of a white pepper. Am I off on that, or does that sound about right? No, it sounds about right. Okay. It's not gonna. It's you know, it is a dark cigar, but it's just. Uh, but it's deceiving it's just, because yeah. I, I'm still of that mindset. Even after doing a year's worth of these shows, where I think I think when I see a dark cigar that it's going to be a strong, like almost harsh cigar, that's not the the case. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with the Dominican tobacco in there. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but when I think Dominican tobacco, I think of balance, and when I think of Nicaraguan tobacco, I think of um, complexity and mostly that spice that a lot of people are after. Which is a, you guys got the both best of both worlds. So out of the Newman portfolio, pretty much. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah, Cuesta Ray. Is- well, I've also bought myself a box of the Americans, and uh, that's I'm looking forward to that. We've had that on the show before when uh, when Drew came on back when they first came out. Um, we had a. I think I mentioned this in the interview that we did with Eric and Bobby. Um, that's yet, uh, Adam yet Adam Stevens. Yep. He. Uh, he uh, sent us a couple of the Robustos, and so we smoked them with, with Drew over the phone. And, I mean, they were amazing, but I haven't had one since because, you know, St. Louis area, we don't have anybody that carries them. So that's why I was like, I'm buying some of these. I don't I don't care what I have to do. Exactly. I'm buying some of these. Yeah, so. I mean, rightfully so, Drew is very particular um, when he chooses the stores that actually get the American. I mean, we don't actually have enough there's just literally not that much of that tobacco to yeah. supply the um, all of the cigar stores with Americans year-round. But uh, here at the factory, at the factory store, we're going to have them year-round just because. Just it's part of the experience here. The American was one of the first brands made in this building, dating back to 1910. So it's very special for us to have resurrected the American brand. And this time, it's not being made with Cuban tobacco. It's being made with all-American tobacco. But yeah, it's a great cigar. Very cool. Well, you ready to dive into the interview? Yeah, why don't we dive into that? So we uh, we spent quite a bit of time, and we really, and we'll thank them profusely now and later. Uh, we want to thank uh, Eric and Bobby Newman to uh, Well, and everybody here. Well, yeah but, yeah, but they are very busy guys, and they gave us quite a bit of their time this afternoon to uh, sit down and talk about their brand, their history, 
the factory renovations, the tours, and everything like that. And, and even, then some, of the, some so of the charitable special causes. Special charitable causes yep. that they're involved with. So why don't we go ahead and jump into that interview? Well, we're joined today, and we really want to thank uh, Eric and Bobby Newman of J.C. Newman. How are you guys? Wonderful. Welcome to Tampa. Welcome to El Ray 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 Low. The weather is is great out here. It's it's a uh, we're the, welcome to the Cigar City. Yes, Tampa is the fine cigar cap of the world. At one time, Tampa had 150 cigar factories, but we're the only one left. We're here to celebrate our 125th anniversary, and by you know, with the grace of God, we're going to hopefully be in business for another 125 years. So, uh, and, and welcome to. Uh, the home of the Tampa Bay Lightning, which is the Stanley Cup winner in 2020. And when you come back during hockey season, you will come join us. We have what we think is the only cigar lounge in an NHL uh, hockey rink for the Emily, where the Tampa Bay Lightning plays. So we have a Diamond Crown Cigar Lounge there. Wow. It holds about 25 people. There's a bar right like on the other side of the window. It's great because you can watch the game, the Tampa Bay Lightning game. You can eat and you can drink your favorite and you enjoy your favorite beverage while you smoke a Diamond Crown uh, or a Naturo Fuente cigar. That's in, fantastic. In, in there. Now, you know, we have something in common with you there because we're from the St. Louis area. Right. And so and we're the 2019 oh, Stanley Cup champions. Boy, you know? tell you, so, that's what I'm you saying. Know, it changes the culture of a city. I've seen it. Oh. We've seen it happen. With, with, We've been sponsored the Lightning since about 10 years now. Part of our agreement is every time they win, after the game, we get a big sign comes down over the ice that gives you know, gives that man a diamond crown victory c- c- cigar. Yeah, and we've had a lot of well. Normally, we have a lot of fans. This year, we didn't have any fans. We had a lot of victories though, which was great. So when we win, we get the publicity. Give this man a diamond crown cigar. We lose, we don't get squat. <laughs> so so uh, part, part of our sponsorship with our Diamond Crown Lounge and if fans come around to Tampa, hope they can check out our Diamond Crown Lounge. It's the only cigar lounge in the National Hockey League. National Hockey League is cigar friendly, thank goodness, to the to the NHL. And you actually see the ice directly. We were the Tampa Bay Rays first sponsor. Uh, we had the first cigar bar in Major League Baseball for 20 years. Wow. And then they, about two years ago, they decided to uh, use that space for an alternate purpose, but we rescued our Diamond Crown, I'm sorry, Quest Ray Cigar Bar awning, which you saw in our museum, hopefully yes, today, yes. and we have remnants of our of our Quest of our Quest Ray Cigar Bar, so we're no longer with baseball, we are with the uh, Tampa Bay Light and the National Hockey League, we're pleased to be there. That's no, awesome. wait, so, so the Lightning has the, you know, give give that winner a cigar, is that, is that the, what is the slogan again? Give that man a victory c- 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 cigar. You know when they have the three stars of the game, the two stars of the yes. game at the end? They don't get it. I don't think they smoke them yet, but they, that was just a, we get the uh, pr- promotional whenever we, we win. That's awesome. But, but only it, when we win, though. But in St. Louis, all we get is to sing Country Road. <laughs> so uh, which, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've never take, quite understood. Take me yeah, home, yeah. Country Road. Yeah, that's know, every game. Oh, yeah. That's a great song, though. Yeah, John, but... John Denver, but it's, but it's, could, not, could it's not a victory cigar. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't make any sense for St. Louis. But hey, you know, <laughs> whatever. We do it, we do it anyway. So, El Rillo, we, we, I First of all, I want to thank you guys and, and your staff and everybody for... Um, being so accommodating and having us in today. You, and you guys have rolled out the red carpet, and it's been so nice. And Nick gave us the tour of oh, the place, great. and 
I mean, I, I it is safe to say that Jeff and I are overwhelmed and blown away, yes. and it's it's hard to sit here. I, I'm going to admit. We're going to be all over the place a little bit because it's really hard for us to be processing questions. And and, and I know and we're going to leave something out because we have been able to tour and see so much in this historic factory that, like like Nick said, I'm I'm in overload right now. I'm glad you, I'm glad to see somebody else ramble, just not not, not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ramble, ram, ramble, ramble away. Yeah, yeah, Eric and I can talk for it. We could drive from here to Seattle and tell you stories and never repeat ourselves. And, uh, and with the four with the four of us, we'd have a we'll get a driver, we'll get a, a party bus, your favorite beverage, cigars. <laughs> I am all just, in. And we a, could make it from here to Seattle and back again and be yeah. just fine. Hey, so. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about how you guys decided with this renovation that you wanted to make El Rey Low like the cigar capital uh attraction for the United States. You know, how did how did that kind of come about and make that decision? And I'll let, since it's uh, Eric, Eric's son, Eric and I are third generation. There's Grandpa JC, first generation, and uh, behind you is Dad, the second generation. And Eric and I are third. So I'll let I'll let Eric. It's a great story, and also I'll let Eric explain that. It wasn't even my story. <clears throat> it was my son Drew. <clears throat> this is our 125th year in business. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we want to give a gift to the city. This is the Cigar City, Tampa, one time. I mentioned earlier, had 150 factories. We're the last operating cigar factory, not only in Ybor City, not only in Tampa, in the whole United States. Cigars are to Tampa. This is known as the Cigar City. Cigars are to Tampa. What wine is to Napa Valley and Sonoma. What automobiles are to Detroit. What Mickey Mouse is to Orlando. This is what made Tampa great for so many years. Cigar industry first started to come here. Vincent Martinez Ebor bought the cigar industry from Key West to Tampa in 1885. And uh, this is our, our own 125th year in business. Our grandfather was an immigrant, born in Hungary in 1875, came with his four brothers and two sisters, settled in Cleveland because the big Hungarian kind of district in Cleveland, had to get a job. His brothers became tailors because that's what immigrants did. They made clothes. My grandfather, our grandfather, didn't want to make clothes, so his mother paid a cigar maker $3 a month. The teacher's son had to make cigars, became a good cigar apprentice in 1890, went business for himself in 1895. When he started, there were 42,000 licensed cigar manufacturers, 1895. You have to have a license to make cigars then and today in order to pay excise taxes. Of those 42,000 cigar manufacturers from 1895, we're the only one left. Wow. That's still owned and operated by the founding family. Anyway, Rabbit J.C., uh, uh, was a still was in Cleveland from 1895 to 1953, and my father, our father, joined the business in 1934. Went to World War II, came out of came out of the war, and we had some issues in Cleveland. In the early 50s, there were five big cigar companies trying to run the little guys like our grandfather out of business. The big guys grew their own tobacco, maybe cost them three dollars a pound, but they offered the farmers. Six dollars a pound for a little bit of what they would need, just in which they could average down themselves. But they did that intentionally to force people like our grandfather to pay this fictitiously high price of six dollars a pound. Grandpa JC said, We can't stay in the cigar business like this. We can't compete. We have to get a niche of the cigar business where the big guys weren't in. And in the early 50s, all the big guys were in the mass market business. So my grand- our grandfather said, We should get in the premium business. 
in the early 50s, there's only one section of the United States making premium cigars. That was Tampa, Florida. So at the age of 78, comes down to Tampa. My father, our father, opens up the factory here. And even then, Tampa still had 10 big family-owned companies in 53, 54, making Cuban cigars. And a Cuban filler, Cuban binder, Cuban wrapper. Life was good until the uh, Cuban embargo came in January 1962. That was the beginning of the end of the Tampa cigar industry as we know it. One by one, the other factories merged with other companies, went offshore, or just closed off to, to, together. So for a, a number of years, just us to have a Tampa. Have a Tampa had the owners had sold to a Spanish tobacco monopoly in the 90s. And they had a factory in Puerto Rico when the big tax came in 27. We used to pay Nicholas cigar at federal excise tax. Now we pay 40 cents a cigar. You pay 40 cents a cigar. The consumer does. To finance a, a uh, insurance, health insurance program for, for children. So anyway, so they closed. So we're, we're the only one left. This is our 125th year in business. We wanted, our son wanted to showcase our factory in celebration of our 125th anniversary. It'd be our gift to the city to put cigars back into the Cigar City to make ourselves a more of a tourist direct, a tourist destination to showcase what we do, um, to give tours to put in our museum. And we have a hand operating factory up here. Basically, we've, we have our, our basic factory. We're making scars, antique scar machines that our grandfather brought over and are brought in the 1930s. They're still making scars. Can you imagine any machines still working today? Oh, no. We were talking to Nick on the tour, and he showed us the uh, the parts graveyard or whatever right, you call right, it. And, yeah, right. and how, like, if you have a part go out on one of the machines, you go down there, you check and see if you have another one that you can replace it with. Otherwise, then you have to contact a company to actually machine a new part for you because, obviously, you can't go out and buy brand new parts for these machines at this point. It's tough making scars here because in the old days, when the machine part broke, our head mechanic were called the head mechanic of another factory. There's nobody left. So we either cannibalized those machines you saw downstairs. Yeah. They've been cannibalized yep. to about oblivion. Or you get, well, there's just some machine shops that, that'll make parts. But it's hard. But I know we're digressing. But once you went in our factory, it's like walking back in time. Yeah. yeah. We're making cigars the same way our grandfather made in the 1930s. I was telling a reporter last year from the Tampa Bay Times how we're using these machines in the 1930s. She said, oh, you mean replica machines. These aren't replica machines. These are the same machines my grandfather made 90 years ago. Then as you went, you know, so anyway, Drew wanted to make a show place, a destination. We have a factory in Nicaragua. We make our brick house, Pearl del Mar, Quorum. It's a destination. A lot of our competitors down there also make cigars. There's more cigars made in Esteli, Nicaragua than any place in the world. And he handmade, for handmade c- 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 cigars, and but then they give they give tours. The other factories give tours. They bring consumers down. They bring retailers down. But it's hard. You have to fly to Miami, fly to Managua, two and a half hours from Managua by car or bus to Esteli. Here you come down and see our factory. And our goal is to make this the premier cigar destination in the country, or maybe the, the uh, world. You don't need a passport to come down here. We're showing you our our cigars made by machine, antique cigar machines. We eventually want to give cigar rolling classes, cigar seminars. I guess Nick took you, uh, uh, or um, Holden took you upstairs to our 
Handmaking Room? Yes, yes. For, with the American, yes. Yeah, well, anyway, Drew came up with the idea first to bring this to be a tourist attraction, which was a costly thing. <laughs> and then he said, I said, then he said, Dad, I want to make bring hand cigar making back to our factory in Tampa. So that's that's a lousy idea. Labor is ten times what it is in Nicaragua. So it, it's too expensive. It doesn't make sense. Not only that, I want to make a an American cigar. I mean, all Americans are the first cigar ever made in this factory was called the American back in 1910. And I want to make an American cigar. This one I want all American everything: American filler, American binder, American wrapper. Anyway, that's a lousier idea because there's we got wrapper made by. Jeff Borshowitz, grown by Jeff Borshowitz, Florida, sun-grown wrapper. And then, thank you. And then we have Connecticut Broadleaf Binder. We couldn't get anybody to make filler. There's no long filler grown in this country for scars. So we got the Mennonites in, 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 uh, Nicaragua, in, uh, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania to grow it for us. Then he wanted American boxes, American bands, American labels, American molds. American ink. Oh, I said, this is a lousy <laughs> idea. I said, I'll tell you what, you know, you could wait till your mother and I die, get your inheritance, or you can get it now, because this is a lousy, it's such a lousy idea, it's probably, probably working. Did, did you get the booklet on that? The booklet? I'm about to buy two boxes before we leave, so okay. I'm going to get the booklet. Yeah, the okay. Anyway, I, I, I'm <laughs> rambling, but, but, yeah, no problem. but we want to make a destination. We our idea of making a destination. Drew said, I want to get 10, I want to get 1,000 people a week, cruise, we got little cruise ships here, and then we had tourists here, but now there's no cruise ships, there's no tourists, but we're still... Want to become the premier scar destination in the country? We we encourage all your listeners come down to Tampa and, and come pay us a visit. Well, and if I remember from from talking to your son about this, when we we had him on the show talking about yeah, when the American, the American premiered, uh, we had a listener, uh, Adam Stevens, who was kind enough to send us two robustos that he had tracked down at a store in Pennsylvania, wow. and because we're from St. Louis and we don't have anybody out in our area that has them. And so he was kind enough to send them to us. And then Drew was kind enough to come on the show as we smoked them and everything. And we talked about it a little and bit. And if I remember from that interview, I think the hinges were one of the things that really held that project up a little bit. Am I correct <laughs> about that? That's correct. Because we had our box maker used German hinges. Well, they all use German. Now we can't have German hinges. So we, we, we now have some made in, in New York, which is, was, a, was an issue. They had one machine. They lent us the machine for like a year and sent to our box maker in Miami. That's another story. But they wanted their machine back. And so I said, the box maker said, I can't, I got my machine that he owned, the box maker. I got, they only use German hinges, German engineering, German type, different style. I said, Drew, let's just use a German hinge. Nobody's going to know the difference. I said, Dad, we can't do that. So we had to go buy another machine, put the box maker in Miami, and even the boxes. I mean, Drew wanted to have a box of the American made, made in America. So we pay $20 a box just for the box, American labor. Miami. We get the same box in Nicaragua for five bucks. Drew, let's do it. <laughs> no, Dad. we got to be true to our word. I, Drew's got this vision. He's uh, very, uh, anyway, it, it, it's, it's working, but it's kind of a f- f- funny story to the next generation. When Bobby and I came in the business, uh, we gave advice to our father. He listened to it sometimes, sometimes he did it. My, our father gave advice to his father. His, our grandfather never listened. And now Drew is giving us advice. Drew would come up and say, Dad, why are we doing such and such like this? Why are we doing, doing it this way? Why are we doing that? He said, son, because we always have. He said, Dad, that's no answer. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's true. I've handed the, the baton to Drew. I just haven't let go of it yet. So it's still a, a family <laughs> business. But it's, 
It's great. Bobby's kids are a little bit younger. They aren't, they're one's in college still. Uh, Paxton Dawson is getting more involved in the business too. This is a fourth generation of business. There's a, which is very unusual. There's a reason why business don't go from one generation to a second generation to a third generation. Now we're fourth. And I started when I was 24. Bobby, you were, how old were you when you started? It's 24, also. You know, so long, that's Eric long, and I are both 39, by the way. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Guess which in case one you were wondering. And guess okay. which one of us is. Hey, I turned 39 on the 29th. Really? Yeah. Huh. Like legit. Yeah. <laughs> I've got I've got underwear older than you I, than that. Yeah, anyway. we'll there. Bobby, Bobby <laughs> probably, sales probably TMI. Yeah. He thinks oh, whatever. <laughs> we, we talk about his lack of it underwear. It's right in on our show. So yeah, you're you're fine. Combat. There combat. Yeah. <laughs> Going down down the now, but but really, if um, a couple of years ago one of our competitors sold out to another company who would be unnamed, and the owner of the company said, "What are you doing about succession planning?" Like. Are we up for, for for sale? And I never even thought about it. I thought, well, I can't. We can't take it with us. Can't put it in our grave. And and if we didn't have, if Drew wasn't interested in the business, if Bobby's kids weren't interested in business, we'd, we'd sell it because there's no. We can do do, yeah. do do with it. You're going to cast your chips one of these days. And there's uh, fortunate we've been successful. We've been partners with the Fuente family since 1986, and they've been successful. We got together before the cigar boom. And I wanted to talk about that sure. as well, just because I think that's very unique, that your partnership with the Fuentes and everything. But uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Before we, before you, I want to... We can get do, on that. Yeah. No, go ahead, Bob. Oh, no, no. A couple of things. First of all, before I forget, do you have the cigar family book, dad's book? If you not, I'll get you. We'll no, get, we'll get we do you, not know. We'll get each of you a copy of it. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. It's Autobiography, my father... And the, uh, Forbes Publishing, Forbes Magazine pub, uh, published it, and, and uh, we have some copies. Oh, oh that's very fantastic. Cool. So, Thank you. Th- we have, there's backstories in everything you do and we do. So, Eric, uh, our grandfather, J.C. Newman, had, he, he wrote a book, and he had it published when he was like 81 years old called Smoke Dreams. And you can get you can, if you go on our website, jasonnewman.com, Drew put it on the, the book so you can see it. And... Also, the other one, the Cigar Family book, is also on the website, but it's nothing like having your own copy. But so, Dad wanted to write a book. Quick story: I took him to the beach about six years before the book was even was completed. I taped him for about eight hours, asked him every question I could think of. Someone typed it; it didn't turn out very well. Then Eric took the project over, and, he, and this during the cigar boom, uh, everyone. Uh, in industry and in act in Hollywood, thought we were heroes. So Eric was at an event in New York, and it was Steve Forbes' brother from Forbes Magazine. Eric, could tell me if I'm correct, and this way I've been telling the story. So uh, you were at a, at a, I don't know if it's a night to remember or whatever for, for Marvin Shank, with Marvin Schenken, but you're talking to Mr. Forbes about the idea to ask him if he knew anyone who would publish a ten a low volume ten thousand book. A thousand copy book, and Mr. Four and and all the the proceeds of the book will go back to our foundation, Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. And Mr. Forbes said, uh, "We'll do it." And uh, Eric said, "I didn't know you had a publishing a book publishing. We thought you're only magazine publishing." He said, "He said, no, we have a publishing company, and if you put in writing that all the proceeds will go to Cigar Family," he said, "I will, I, Forbes, will put it in every Barnes and Noble." And every borders in America, and they Ooh. put that book in there. Thousands, of, it didn't. Thousands of stores, it didn't sell, but they, he was good to his word. So we we ended up giving uh, copies, obviously, to every one of our 
uh, tobacconist in the United States and around the world, and we still have some. We have, we have some copies left, so you'll love it. Something you put on your coffee table full of pictures is dedicated. Dad dedicated, of course, to his family, but also to the Carlos Fuente family. And uh, since you were talking about that, uh, one other thing about the uh, about Drew's vision about opening this the factory to the public. We have one of the finest airports in the world. The airports, all airports are dead right now, but we put two huge signs as you come in Southwest has 40% of the business. American Airlines has like 25% of the business. So when you come in, it says, welcome to Cigar City. Please visit. We actually took a picture with that sign when we flew in yesterday. (laughs) Wonderful. I'm so sure that both people at the airport appreciated it. <laughs> you know, there there were more there than I expected, but fewer than I'm used to, yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. And then what Eric left off, too, is, and this was Eric's, I, his, his, his somatics, if you will. We wanted to turn the El Rolo into like the Bourbon Trail in Kentucky. How pot, there's millions of people going through there. And, then the last thing I wanted to say, when you come back and we, during hockey season, and which we don't know when it's going to start, unfortunately, because of the COVID, but as you walk into the Diamond Crown Cigar Lounge, there's, there's a big sign, a, a fr- beautiful frame uh, picture, as, and it's an advertisement uh, from the, it says, from the 1930s, Tampa, fine cigar capital of the world, over 500 million cigars manufactured annually. And so this was, like Eric was saying, this was the Napa Valley of the the wine industry uh, when we got here. Well, and that's and that comes through on this tour is that you guys have really worked hard to make this the the crown jewel of the area and show it off. And then and but then what's also cool is that in the front area you have obviously the the shop, right. But you also feature cigars from other little boutique Ybor City locations in in your in your shop there as it, well. It was, and I tell you, it's a testament to the way it was to the way Drew was raised because he's a he's an only child, a wonderful mother and father. Thank you. Know, you. He's always big in about being sharing. This was his idea. Say, hey, all those guys on Seventh Avenue, let's 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 include them. Let's share their part. Ybor City. We want it. We want them. They're in the tourist area of Ybor City. We wanted to let them know that we were not there for their factory store to compete with them. We wanted to help them. Yeah. So we wanted to showcase their, their products. So that's why their products are in with our products. No, I think it's fantastic. I do well, too. Well, well, thank you. One more quick 30-second story. Yeah. Our father used to tell the story. You probably never heard of this. Most um, people have not. That his father, Grandpa JC, used to say, remember the story of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. In three generations. Three generations. What that means is, and it's true, first generation that comes to America from the old country, they're uh, very poor. They usually don't speak English. They come here with nothing but their shirt on their back and uh, with their families uh, or by themselves. And only they land in the United States, in, in Ellis Island or Baltimore, and they see people, wealthy people. And only wealthy people at the time could afford long sleeves, like what we're all wearing. So, uh, because of the extra cloth. So, um, the first generation starts, works very hard, becomes successful, and he starts in short sleeves. He can now afford long sleeves. Second generation sees how hard the father worked and mother putting everything, whatever, if, if it's they're making widgets or cigars or 
or uh, uh, whatever. Uh, third generation ne- never saw how hard the first generation worked. Didn't get appreciation for their father or mother and mother. So they go, they take over the business. Third generation, they go chapter eleven or chapter seven. You're completely bankrupt. They lose everything, and they can only afford short short sleeves. Bobby, you know what generation we are. Yeah, we're third generation. Yes, so we're supposed to go bankrupt, right? Turn <laughs> <laughs> your story. You still got long sleeves, so we're yeah, good. Yeah, there. We're yes, good. Yes. Here, I'll show you real quick. Uh, that's the picture that we took oh, at the airport. So just, just so you know, we weren't blowing smoke. So uh, now, I have a quick question for you. So the the name of the factory, the nickname for the factory, whatever you want to call it, Elbert Low. You had a great story about that. Elbert Low. Yes, and how how that came to be. Well, a couple. Mm-hmm. Couple things. Um, when the factory, that's the, when the factory was built, that story. The factory was built in 1910. People didn't have clocks or watches. So they, we have, they put a uh, clock tower in. The Regensburg family built this. And it was iconic. When they didn't have clocks or watches, but this became known for all over the, the community that it, uh, it rang once on the hour. And then we didn't have watches. So you get up at the hourly sound of the clock, eat, go to school, and go to bed. Most factories built in Tampa at that time had nicknames. This was Edward Lowe, the clock factory. In fact, if you ask any old-timer, older than Bobby and I are, you know, that you were going here today, you told me you're going to Edward Lowe, they know exactly where you're going, because that was the name. This clock was really famous back in the, in the, the days. One cute story about the clock by Edward Lowe. At 9.15, every morning was known as the wishing hour. People would line up in the street. So we've been told, if you had, if you had, if you want to wish away your problems, you had issues with health, financial, personal, whatever. At nine fifteen, when you have a clock, we have the nine hand and three hand. You come out on the street and you put your arms like this at nine fifteen. Oh, okay. you wish your problems away. Nine sixteen, it was over. The wishing moment was over. You had one minute to do it. Get all your wishes and problems that minute every day. They 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 did it. That's one of the uh, lores of El Rilo, the clock factory. Very cool. Fascinating. Yeah, that was a story you'd shared with us off off the podcast, and I wanted to make sure we got that included. In fact, in that museum you saw there, that is the only weight-driven clock in Florida. There's no motors. And that was the way the clock was the original. Everything that you see there is original. That's the way the clock was built in 1910. And we had it repaired uh, about 20 years ago, and it's still working. We actually, on the tour, got to see the pendulum. Oh, oh, downstairs. Down yeah, basement. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, my joke is that you know, Edgar Allan Poe had a... Uh, Edgar Allan Poe, he, uh, uh, on your tour, you went to the pit. Yep. Because his story, his famous uh, poem was the pit and the pendulum. So you saw the, you saw the pendulum. We were there. And, and we in the pit. In the pit so. Yeah. The pendulum's actually in the pit. It is. There you go. There you actually, go. it's not running today because we still... We have we scaffolding up and we, we're fixing up our, our clock tower by putting new new mortar in within the bricks. And as soon as that's repaired, that comes down. Then we'll get our clock guy over here and start up again. That's awesome. Very neat. Very and how neat. many clock faces are there throughout the building? Well, there's on that tower. Yes. There's there's four. Four, four the there. Tower. And the story is, and it's a true story, we have a lot of hurricanes in Florida. If you came here last week, you might have run into one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and every time there's a clock face from 1910, it blow up a clock face. It blow off a clock face, and we renovated the clock back in two thousand one. We only had one clock face left from the original nineteen ten clock, and so we put aluminum clock faces. 
but the only original clock face left for the 1910 clock is now is in our museum. There's the original clock face you see behind the uh, the clock. That's the only one that survived. Behind the mechanism. Yes. yes. Behind all these storms for all these years. Very neat. Very neat. So let's talk a little bit about what cigars are actually produced here and um, kind of what, what takes place at this factory. Like what actual work is – I mean, it's obviously not – it's a very nice showpiece, but it's not just a showpiece. It's, it's as you said, a very – Active and working factory. So, what actually is taking place? I'll let Bobby tell this story. You know, this is a cigar. We're a cigar factory. We make cigars. We ship cigars. We are not in the museum business. We're not in the entertainment business. We're not in the tour business. But Drew wanted to to do it. So, (laughs) people come here. It's not like you go into a Bush Gardens or 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 somewhere just going to take a a tour or a museum or attraction. We this is how we make our living: make and selling cigars. We just put this museum on top of it. And so it is pretty pretty interesting that you're seeing a really working operation. You know, one time we had we made two hundred fifty thousand cigars a day here during the eighty. We started in the nineteen seventies. Then the marketplace changed in late seventies, early eighties. All of a sudden, imported products started to become popular. People wanted imported everything: imported cars, imported clothes, imported shoes, imported cigars. We're getting new comp- we're getting competition. From low-wage countries, Nicaragua, Honduras, Dominican Republic, we can actually buy cigars cheaper, made by hand, than we can make them in our factory here. So uh, we got a lot of you know competition here. So business really got difficult. This is like in the early 80s, and our production kept on going down and down. And our father, dad died in uh, 2006, but uh, he wanted to make a uh, bundle of he wanted to make a low-price bundle of cigars that sell everywhere. He's nine years old. I said, Dad, let's do it. We weren't, we were only running five machines back then. Didn't have much, much business here. He said, I want, I want to name the, the cigar. Sure, Dad. You do whatever you want. He said, I want to name it Factory Throwouts. I said, Dad, that is the worst god awful name for a cigar. Nobody's going to buy it. But I want to buy it. I want to name it that way. I said, okay, Dad. Let, well, you can do whatever. Anyway, there's only, we started in the, Ninety, I guess we, when he died in ninety in two thousand six, we started that in ninety five, I think, and two two and two thousand five, with one size and expanded, and we, we make about uh, sixty sixty five thousand cigars a day. In fact, it throughouts, and there's only two cigars in this world. I don't regards whoever who you ever talk to. There's only two cigars that are made by cigar manufacturers today. Those that sell. And those that don't. <laughs> yep. And in fact, we throw out, sell, we sell a lot of them. That's our main seller. We also have regular little blackjacks, trader jacks. That's our old machine made cigars. And, I, and I, as you, again, we talk a tour. It's like walking back in time, walking to a time capsule. You came here a hundred years ago. Some of these machines, you see the same machines 90 years ago. Well, and, and I want to just real briefly interject for a moment. When we're, when you're talking about machine made cigars, you're talking about machines, but there there are people sitting at those machines operating them and still working with these cigars. We're not talking like the kind of machines that are cranking out like a million cigarettes a day or right. something these like are that. Right? Operated machines. I, was say, I want to make sure that we're clarifying but these are. It, they're almost machine assisted cigars. Yeah, the per, way I saw it. It takes a cigar. It takes four months to teach a cigar maker how to make cigars. They're, they're laying the tobacco wrapper on by hand. And we're more like a handmade cigar than a traditional machine-made cigar. We push a button, they come out so fast you can't. And that's see what them. I wanted yeah. to clarify. Yeah, this is, these are the way cigars were made ninety years ago, 80, 80 years ago. Then again, what else we make? We talk about the American 
by, by hand. But I'm, I'll turn it over to my but brother the, here. These are hand-operated machines. The, the, the women have, the operator <clears throat> has, has a foot pedal. And uh, they, can, they can speed up the, the production or slow it down, but that's, it's a process that has to be done with a mechanic. Uh, and you see, if you go up there, every one of the machines has a, has a person's name on it, and that's the mechanic responsible for it. Every day, one of those machines or more will break. Something happens. They're, they're from 1931 to 1934. Uh, American machine, correct me if I'm wrong, AMF, when we were all little, we're young, we're older than you are, but you go to the bowling alley, and right above the, the pins, it said AMF. That stood for American Machine and Foundry. They're the largest manufacturer of bowling. In fact, they invented the bowling uh, bowling alley machine. That would everyone knows. Versus my mother, remember go and my father remember goes to the bowling alley. They used to have they had a bowling pin uh, pin setters. Pin setters. Imagine that. Okay, but yeah, uh, look about these 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 machines here. It takes a lot of skill to make a cigar. Kind of interesting story in 2012. We had a Republican National Convention in Tampa. We had a factory open up every night till two in the morning. Oh wow! To showcase the state, the local delegations. We had Pennsylvania delegation, Texas, Florida here. We've been fighting the FDA since 2011. We're still doing to today, trying to explain to them that we are making premium cigars in this factory, even though they're made on a machine. And we put senators. Governors, congressmen on cigar machines, so they can realize that this takes a lot of skill to make a cigar. Takes a lot of skill to hit a golf ball. It looks easy. Takes a lot of skill, you know, to hit a tennis ball. Looks easy. This is not easy to make a cigar. We put one guy on. Guy named is Tapiri, Congressman Tapiri from Marion, Ohio. This looks easy. So we put him on a cigar machine. We wanted to see how much skill it took. It takes. We set him down. He took a leaf and laid it on the die, as you probably saw upstairs. Bobby had his, was a, there's a break up there, a switch, so Bobby undid the break. The machine rotated 180 degrees, and Bobby put the switch back down. It stopped. He took the next leaf. They put on the die, stretched it out. Bobby undid the switch, rotated 180 degrees. Bobby stopped, stopped the machine again. The guy took off the old leaf, put the new leaf on. And uh, the, guy, the congressman said, this looks pretty easy. What's the big deal? Tell, tell, tell you all the skill. Bobby said, I'll show you. I undid the switch. Machine up, turns 180 degrees. This time, Bobby doesn't stop it. So the guy takes the next leaf. By the time he gets the left leaf on, the machine's already going 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch Lucy and Ethel at the candy factory, and oh, it's yeah. just going that's everywhere. What it, yep. that's, what, that's what it looked like. And the guy said, okay, I get it. I get it. It, it takes a lot of skill to make cigars on these hand-operated machines. So. That's uh, and we make that in the American handmade cigars too. When you ask me, what do we make here? It was really impressive watching. Yeah, it uh, was. What was her name? Maria. Maria's up there. Was she the lady who won the the costume Halloween costume contest. the Halloween contest? Oh, there's... was she was she in this packing department? No, that was a different one. We had one lady dressed as a nun, right? Well, she dressed up as uh, the cigar 
Oh, oh yeah, that's right, Marie. Oh, yeah, Marie. Yeah. Marie. Marie Questore was our main brand here. Yes. She looked, she dressed up, she looked more like the Questore lady than the Questore lady in the labels. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> Marie. But we saw her uh, operating the machine yeah. and making cigars and everything. It looks May- easy, doesn't it? I, well, I mean, it looks easy, but I I could tell just by talking with Nick and, and he's showing the how this is all working that... There's there's no way I'm messing around with that. Well, so. <laughs> and I was looking at it like the intricacy of how the cap is placed, uh, and you know it it was just so impressive to watch. What do you say? What? How many moving parts are in one of those machines? Ten thousand. It's just incredible. Yeah. Can you, these machines were invented around 1900 ish. Eric, no, the first machine came in 1919. Our grandfather bought the first machine from Sweden. They came over here, and my grandfather didn't want to buy them, but he said. I'll buy him you send over a mechanic, because I don't know how to operate him. So he sent over a mechanic, and mechanic, uh, during Christmas time, his, uh, he had some sick relatives in New York. We were in Cleveland, he, and my, the mechanic told my grandfather, I need to go back to New York to see my relatives. My grandfather said, you know, fine, it's Christmas time, whatever. Mechanic left. He never came back. My grandfather said the machine's back this week, because he couldn't operate without with a, without a mechanic, and about 10 years later, he brought him back. So the machines we got came by about 1929, 1930. And they're put in as a labor-saving device. You eliminate an operator. Every, everybody's concerned about cost. Yeah. So, I mean, during the Great Depression, our grandfather, at the time when General Motors' plant was closed for two years in Cleveland, 1932, our grandfather made ran two shifts. Everybody else laid off. Ran two shifts making two-cent cigars. Two cents. Wow. Didn't make any money, but keep them employed. So anything you could do to save money is, is the reduce your cost and help keeping it in business. We got those machines, and here we are. Wow. 90 years later with the same machines. Pretty well, amazing. And, and that's something that you mentioned that, I'll be honest, I was not aware of, but the uh, family and the, the cigar line had actually started out in uh, Cleveland. Yeah. Right. And that was back in, uh, what was it, uh, 1895, and you were there till uh, 1953? We right. Actually, we right. landed there in 1888 when my grandfather was 13. He had to get a job in 1890, became a big cigar apprentice in 1890. He was a really good cigar, good cigar apprentice, 15, year, 15 years old. But there was a big recession in Cleveland, 1893-94, laid off all the cigar manufacturers. So we're sitting around home one day, and his mother wore the pants of the family. We go and back in the in the mid mid eighteen nineties, there was no refrigeration, so women would go to the grocery store every day. She tells the grocer, "I buy all my groceries from you every day. How about scars for my son?" So my our great grandmother comes back with an order for five hundred cigars. Grandpa J.C., twenty years old, then borrows fifty dollars from who else but his mother, buys two bales of tobacco, finds some old boards. And he, he makes a hand cigar making table and converts the family barn into a one man cigar factory. The grandfather's a great talker, better than Bobby and I are. Hard to believe, I know. <laughs> With a heavy he gets, accent. He gets an order for 2,500 cigars from a local saloon. Then he gets an order for 10,000 cigars from Legion, Cleveland's largest wholesale grocer. He had so many orders, he can't make them all of himself. I was going to say, is he a one man operation? No, at this he's point? got five rollers. Life, okay, okay. Life so. was great. Starts in May of 1895. The family, uh, the, uh, Family barn. There's a picture of it in our, in our museum. Life is great until winter comes. The barn's not heated. So it moves this whole operation, five rollers themselves and tobacco processor into the family basement. You know, they have basements up there. After a couple of weeks, his mother 
discovered that her fruits and vegetables start taste like tobacco. She <laughs> kicks them out of the house. So he has a step of a storefront in downtown Cleveland, and there's all these pictures are in the museum. By, by 1905, he had the biggest factory in Cleveland. And he went from one factory to another factory to another factory. He loved factories. One day, uh, 1916, the president of the Chamber of Commerce of Marion, Ohio, it's about 75 miles from Cleveland, comes to see him. He says, we need jobs in Marion, 1916. We'll build you a factory, Mr. Newman. You just come open up a factory, hire the local people. Grandfather, our grandfather did open a factory in Marion. And the fellow that came to see him, had the Chamber of Commerce, was a, was a guy named Warren Harding. Later became Ohio Center. Later became President of the United States. In fact, our grandfather used to visit President Harding when he was, in the, when he was president. Not because Grandpa J.C. and President Harding were that good of friends. President Harding just like just loved to get free cigars. <laughs> it hasn't changed much. I don't know if oh, we, we trust me, we get that all day long. So. <laughs> anyway, then uh, so that's our political connection. My grandfather, our grandfather's always politically involved in something that he passed on to our father, and sometimes that we are. Bobby, I've been quite politically active uh, in the industry. By the FDA, and since for the last ten years, which we still are, so we don't get regulated out of business. Well, and I know Drew has been very instrumental Absolutely. in working with his uh, legal background, um, fighting a lot of Absolutely. this FDA stuff. Absolutely, we have been led by Drew. We've been at the very tip of the spear of this battle, and the reason why. And Nick, what's your last name? Miller. Okay, okay. Are we signed this yeah. and this while we're talking? Yeah, funny about the performance story about Drew, when he got out of law school, he became a regulator in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., the city, was run by, by 13 commissioners, and he was the legislative director for one of the 13 commissioners. So he helped make laws and regulate laws. And people used to come up to see Drew about what issues. Then Drew got religion. He came to the other side of the table. Now he sees how the other half lives, so... I said, what's it like to come to our side? Because everybody was used to snuck up to him when he was the regulator. Now, we have to do that to, the, mm-hmm. to these folks. But it's, uh, Drew has a great vision. He has great appreciation. A while back, a few years ago, I got so irritated after a meeting with FDA. I said, Drew, how could they say what they're going to say? Where are they coming from? He said, Dad, when you meet with these people, you can't look at the world through your eyes. You have to look at it through their lens. See where they're coming from. I want to shake Drew. You can't do that. Dread. You got to look through these things the way they look at the world. Because Drew was a regulator. He knew how, the, how they think. And of course, it's different generations too. I don't have as much patience and tolerance as he does. <laughs> but he does. And uh, it's going to help us in our battle. And Bob, are you going to say something about, about yeah. the our fight? Yeah, and the, the, the reason we ended up on the front lines, the very tip of the spear, is because we had the only, in, in the industry, you think of all the, the big boys. And everyone, the, the top ten, um, that we were the only ones that had a factory in Tampa, that had a factory in the United States, and we knew that we were able to, to leverage our the fact that we're making cigars in the United States during this Trump administration. You know, make America great again, save American jobs. You remember Trump was he'd been on the job five minutes. He went to Indiana, and he. Uh, Convinced that factory from the key, not, not key, to close his carrier air conditioning. Right, he saved he saved eight hundred jobs in Indiana, but he cost uh, the state of Indiana eight million dollars in tax credits. We invited Trump to come to our, our factory. He could save our factory, save one hundred twenty five, hundred three jobs here. Would cost the state of Florida a nickel. He you know, looked like a hero. We are still battling at uh, right regulations. We think FDA is going to give some relief to 
handmade cigars, but they're made offshore. But only to premium cigars. We want them to define the cigars we make here in our factory. You saw as as premium cigars. We aren't sure that's going to happen. If they don't, they're going to be in a position of saving the people who work. We have 800 people work for us in in Nicaragua, saving the Nicaraguan jobs, Dominican jobs. But why would you want to save the importer, the Nicaraguan worker, the Dominican worker, and screw the American worker? So we've been playing, we've been trying to push, save America first, America first jobs. And, but that's, that's a, a political fight that uh, we're still fighting. Uh, Nick, uh, a few minutes ago, you talked about machine made cigars. One of the challenges we have is, is to find what, how our machine made cigars are totally different than what one might think's a machine made cigarette or Definitely. a little cigar is. So we yeah. get, we get wrapped in this. We spend a lot of energy and time trying to demonstrate and prove that the fact scars we make in a hand-operate antique scar machines from the 1930s are more, more like a handmade cigar than what one might think is the typical machine-made cigar. But in Washington, sometimes they make a one-size-fits-all. They think machine-made scars are machine-made scars, but we're trying to get them, the current battles, to have them define us as a premium scar, the way we make cigars. We aren't there yet. They're trying to shut us up. But we're not going to quit fighting. Well, we saw a poster up in that area right. that detailed right. what the amounts that you guys can produce in, I believe, an hour. Correct. Versus, versus an hour with a high-speed... Uh, we put that up for, for the FDA purposes. We want to show them we're more like handmade cigars. But you know, this is 125th year in business. About 100 of those years have been challenge years. It's, it, we've, had, we've been through... Our company's our grandfather, the pandemic. Been through two world wars... The Great Depression, getting run out of try to run our business by the big guys, Cuban embargo, excise taxes, smoking bans, regulations, you name it. We've been we keep on getting knocked down. We get up, we wipe ourselves off, we get knocked down again. But we've again this is 125th year in business, and uh, this is, we're dealing with now the ad, adversity. And there's there's uh, some signs and notices and video footage of all the challenges we've had to overcome. It's, it's ongoing. It's not going to stop. Well, We've been politically connected. We, we try our, our representatives. They've been helpful. But, but uh, if it's easy, everybody be doing it. It's not easy. Well, and that's one thing I wanted to touch on. Um, and I've said it before, both on the podcast, and I know I've, I've also posted it to like my Instagram, is that I've really felt bad for you guys as a company in that, I know you had a lot after talking with you and uh, Bobby and and Drew at TPE. I know you guys had a lot of plans for the 125th anniversary year, and obviously with COVID, right? It that that just shot to hell. And so, you know, I guess it's one of those things where, you know, if if we can get ourselves back to some sort of sense of normalcy, hoping, knocking on wood for for 2021. You know, is it maybe going to be one of those, you know, we'll take the 125th celebration and maybe just do 125 plus one and absolutely. just kind of go that way the, with it? Or? The answer is absolutely yes. You know, we had to, we were going to send out the save the dates back in March of this year. And then it's said, well, this new COVID thing, we ought to wait. And we said, well, we'll send, we'll do it in October. And now we're looking at maybe May next year. I'll tell you that uh, we do trade shows, uh, our company in the United States. And we do them overseas, the Dortmund show, the big mm-hmm. inner tobacco, and uh, we do uh, the shows in uh, in Singapore. Haven't been, everything has been canceled. Uh, 
our um, uh, I, we've always have sales meetings either in Tampa, in Dominican Republic at the Fuente factory, or at Pensa at our factory. Everything's going to be done online uh, on Zoom. We're all doing. It's a new world order. The times will change, but uh, no, well, everyone has been. Our country has been. The world has been so badly hurt by this, and hopefully this this. Uh, these two new vaccines will, will prove successful. I do want to say something before we leave, though. Going back to the, the fight we've had for nine years, and they say what won't kill you will make you stronger. But we've had, Mitch, we've had, because we have the only American factory, cigar factory in, or the only cigar factory in the United States, we've used, we've had dozens and dozens of major f- federal fundraisers and state as well. But Mitch McConnell was here. We had every one of the entire industry was here. We had 28 different brand owners from Altadis to General to Drew Estate to Rocky. It's obviously our uh, Carlito, our business partner. And, um, and Marco Rubio has been here several times doing, uh, being, uh, being doing public. Uh, um, both sides of the eye. We have Democrats, we have Republicans. Yeah, Tim Kaine was here, Joe Manchin on the Democrat side, Rubio is here, and, and Mitch McConnell on the Republican side, you know, Bill Nelson, Republican National Convention was here. Uh, it's, uh, anybody that's going to help us is our friend. But the point is, is that, and our father told us this in a roundabout way, but uh, if you don't have a voice in Washington, you're in the broadcast industry, uh, we're in the cigar business. If you're in a service in the United States, if you if you own it or you work for it, whether it's you import clothing or watches or have a lawn mowing company, if you don't have a voice in Washington, you'll get run over. And that's what we learned. And uh, I, uh, Eric's son is could write a whole book on this thing. And I took my son when he was in high school. I I personally been over 150 congressional offices and about a third of the Senate go up there over and over and over again to ask them to be co-sponsors on our bill to exempt premium cigars from FDA regulation. Took my son, Dawson, uh, when he was a senior in high school, said, look, son, if you want to come in business, you're going to have to do what uh, what uh, your grandfather and what Uncle Eric and I do. You have to come. You have to be a regular up here and tell the story, and you got to develop relationships with these, these men and women. And... Uh, so he walked the halls with me, and then that summer he became an intern for our U.S. Congresswoman Kathy Castor, who's been hugely supportive. So we've learned a great. This has been a nightmare for a nine-year nightmare ever since S. Chip, but we've learned a great deal. And I'll tell you, our, I know I, I I never speak for the Fuente family, but I'll speak for Eric and my and Drew and my children that we will fight this the rest of our life and uh, and be active. And, uh, and tell the story to the FDA. Greatest thing happened, one of the greatest things happened in our fight, and I think you know this, that, uh, and Drew found this. In, in January 20, 2017, the most prestigious medical journal in, in all of the United States, the New England Journal of Medicine, they came out with some studies that the FDA had done, and they, they, the FDA concluded that youth do not smoke premium cigars, meaning under, at the time it was under 18, now it has to be under 21, of Mm -hmm. course. And the second thing, the CDC, unless you're sleeping under a rock, everyone has heard of the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. and they concluded that the average American cigar smoker smokes 1.7 premium cigars a month, and it would not affect 
uh, mortality. We took this to the uh, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who was the commissioner at the time, FDA, and met with him and so forth. So uh, you, you have to, whatever industry, you have to fight for yourself, whatever it is. There's an old adage that if you aren't uh, at the table, you'd be on, Washington. The, on, the, on the menu. So we'd rather be at, at the table than on the menu. And and we, we've been both, but it's... Uh, <laughs> hey, Dad, Dad's, you have to be politically active all your life. Definitely, definitely. I want to jump in real quick. But let me ask you this. For anyone that's interested in coming down and taking the tour... Right. How how do they go about getting with you and doing that? Go to jasonnewman.com. All the information is on our website. And guys, from what uh, Nick and I have seen today, you want to come take this tour. Yes. It is very, you, very cool. If, if, if you enjoy premium cigars and, and the process, the method, and the history, you have got to add this to your bucket list. This was just an amazing yeah. experience. We're in overload still. Yeah. And even if you don't enjoy premium cigars, if you just want to see what, what Americana was like 100 years ago, come back and, and visit us. Because I promise, we're making a product on the same machines that was made 100 years ago. There's no product whatsoever that's made the same way today as the way it was made 100 years ago. And then we take it even a step further, go up on our third floor watching our hand cigar makers. We're making cigar makers make cigars by hand with our cultural product the same way yes. my grandfather made him 125 years ago. There is no product, I promise you, whatsoever that's made the same way today that's made, as, a, as a business and as it was back in the 1890s. But So it's worth the trip, and we're glad to share it with people. We're proud of what we've accomplished. We're just caretakers here. We're doing it to remind people and remind our politicians that Tampa is the, is the fine sky cap of the world. Well, Absolutely. And speaking of things that you guys should be proud of, let's talk a little bit. I want to make sure we get touch on the uh, Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. Can you tell us about how that came about and some of the good works you guys have done? Because that was a really touching and inspiring part of the uh, museum. And Absolutely. The tour. We've been partners with the Fuente Famous in 1986. Around 1999, Curly and I were riding on Chateau de la Fuente, and we saw some kids playing in the street. And I said, you know, why aren't they in school? He says, well, there's not enough classrooms. Everyone's on double sessions. There's shores of schools of classrooms in the Dominican Republic. And we just came through a cigar boom. We, we were very fortunate and blessed, and we said, we ought to do something for the people of the Dominican Republic. We need to... Uh, you know, thank them for growing the best tobacco, for making the best cigars in the world. So uh, let's, you know, we, we came with the idea, let's build a wing on the local school. We went a little further. We saw some girls carrying jugs of water on their shoulders. I said, you know, Carter, what are they doing? He said, you don't believe it, but there's no, these, they don't have no water in their huts, their homes, and they have to walk as much as two hours, I'm sorry, two miles to the river to bring water back to their homes. And even then, the water's still not fit to drink. We should do some for them. So we came up with the idea to build the wing on a school, to provide clean water. And then Carlito ran into a fellow who's head of the largest humanitarian organization in the Dominican Republic with our vision, you know, the water of the school. And he says, you don't want to build the wing on a school. You want to build your own school. So with a lot of effort, he and I start, founded the Scar Family Charitable Foundation. We bought 29 acres in one of the poorest areas of the Dominican Republic. We collected money. We became a public foundation. And we started our foundation, and uh, you know, from the beginning, we were the, the funders. And you know how, how um, most charities, um, 
you give money to, but they have so much money goes to overhead for fundraising, for advertising, whatever. We came with the idea early on and said, you know, there's a problem starting, starting foundations in the United States is that people don't know where the money's going. So why don't we, the both families agreed that we'll cover all the overhead of anything running the operation, you know, for lawyers and advertising and fundraisers. So if anybody gives us a dollar for our project, a dollar will actually go to the school. So we started underwriting all the overhead of the, of the foundation, which we've done for 20 years now. But in, our school opened up in 2004, September 6th, great day. We were, we were, first of all, we were pre-K through eighth grade. Great day. We had 800 people there at the opening ceremonies. We had the politicians, the media, the parents. Everybody loved us. Great day, Scar family history. About five months later, Cleo calls me and says, we have a problem at our school. I says, we can't have a problem at our school. Everybody loves us. So the problem is a bunch of the eighth grade girls got a hold of them. Said, we love our school, but the closest high school is an hour away walking. We need to build high school. I said, Carlito, we have no money to build high school. He said, yep, we have to build high school. So Carlito and I co-signed a loan for a million dollars at the Bank of Tampa and built high school. Fortunately, we were able to raise the money, paid off that, 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 that. And then we, our high school opened up in 2005. The medical clinic opened up in 2006. We have night, the, the best, uh, most modern health clinic in the whole area there. And today we have over 500 kids going to kindergarten through high school. 80% of them go on to college. What's really special about these kids, something special about the school, you go down there and these are the poor of the poor. We have running water in our school. They all have outhouses at home, but they don't know they're poor. You go there and you see smiles all around. They're learning English, science, math, music, drama, sports, and they're just happy, happy kids. Plus the fact that a lot of them, they go to college, they come back as teachers, they come back as doctors, nurses, helping at the school, you know, going full circle. So we're really, really proud of what we've accomplished down there. And if people can go to Cigar Family, dot org or scar fan material foundation dot org or cfcf dash um cf dash cf dot org cf dash cf dot org and learn more about our scar fan material foundation every uh, dollar that's contributed goes straight to the project it's funny when Curly and i came with the idea we cover the overhead it's great it was little overhead now it's, it costs us almost a million dollars a year to run that complex. <laughs> we got more overhead, but we still cover the, the, the overhead. Well, I know you guys annually do like a, a pack, like a, a toast, toast across the, America. Yes, we were just talking about this morning. We have a Cardo makes special c- cigars. He donates his cigar, his special Opus X cigar. He charges us for our Diamond Crown cigar. It's the shape of a Fuente uh, Fuente Opus X shark, and we put two cigars in a pack. We sell them to the retailers for $50. And to the credit for our retailers, they sell to the consumer $50. We get all $50 back. We send it to our project. And it's one of our big fundraisers called Toast Across America. And we're just going getting to the marketplace now. Fantastic. Yeah, very Fantastic. cool. Now, there's uh, one, other, one other project in addition to the, again, that is uh, www.cf cf.org and that's for the cigar family charitable foundation there's another project a labor of love for my brother i was going to say i think this is more <laughs> bobby's, bobby's project. Deal. so bobby could bobby uh 
you have to give him a time limit because he can speak for the next five hours. <laughs> this is something that, that I'll be honest, I, I hold kind of dear. And when, when this came up, I was, I was very intrigued by it. But you have a uh, group, I guess it's uh, Southeastern Guide Dogs. Correct. And, right. and can, you know, I, I've been a hunter all of my life and I was raised around beagles and German short hairs and, right. you know, the, pointers you know of all different types and i mean it's it's one of those things where you know i've been around labs and you know would you have labs here right. in the factory which right. i just absolutely adore that that you have your uh, dogs here with you in the business offices but it's one of those things where i'd like you to tell people what what this is about and what you're doing all right thank thank you um as, as an older father we when we had children they wanted to have get some dog get a dog and uh, we saw Frazier. You remember the show Frazier? Yeah. Yes. And I told my wife, that's a perfect dog. You know, it will, it will have no, no smell. It's a little one. It was a Jack Russell Terrier. So we had one. It was a disaster. It lasted one a week. And it cornered the cats. And they all went in the bathroom. And they all tracked it like, uh, like the movie Babe. It's Babe. <laughs> when, the, when the duck turns or the pig turns the paint over and the duck tracks it, that's what happened. So uh, anyway, we made a, 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 this was in 1999, 2000, we made another worse error. We bought, my wife bought a, uh, a dog from the puppy, these puppy mills they used to have in every mall in America. Oh, yeah. And it was, it was a Cocker Spaniel, and it bit both kids and me. We couldn't housebreak it. Lo and behold, my mother calls us at the end of two, this is over 20 years ago. My mother, our mother, Elaine Newman, was a... Uh, director of public relations for a local department store chain called Moss Brothers, owned by Allied Department Store. And she saw one of her old old buddies that had a black lab drinking water out of a silver goblet on the designer salon in Saks Fifth Avenue. And it had a black, it had coats at Southeastern Guide Dogs. My mother called me. She said, why don't you go? And I, no one ever heard of Southeastern Guide Dogs 20 years ago. She said, why don't you go down there and see if they have any flunkies? That's what you call, they, we call them career change dogs. Yeah. So it went down there. They saw a sucker. They gave us a golden door, half a golden retriever, and half a a, a, a a lab. They had been trained as a guide dog. They put me on the board, and uh, it's been we've never looked back. The I've always has always had always had a personal fascination with loved most little boys and most little girls love animals. And my mother used to take my brother and me when Eric was four years old. We used to go. Eric had severe eye challenges, and we'd go to the only ophthalmologist in Tampa, downtown Tampa, and this was in the 50s, no air conditioning, no appointments. We were there all day. And that's, I remember seeing my first guy, seeing, seeing eye dog, a German shepherd. I always was interested, so fast forward, we, we, through my mother, we were able to adopt this dog. I felt such an obligation to give back. It was the year 2000. They put me on the board. Fast forward to 2004. Uh, I think it's fine. We have a million-dollar budget. Uh, well, I should say after 9-11, America changed again. And I got a call in 2000, actually in 2005, that one of our customers from Central Cigar Company had been hit by a roadside bomb and been severely severely injured, wounded, and uh, the next weekend, there's a whole story on the front page of the St. Pete Times. This this young man, 25 years old, Corporal Michael Jernigan, was the first American serviceman to lose both eyes in the global war and terror. 
took his whole forehead off oh, and the eyes. If it had been Vietnam, he would have died. He was riding in a Humvee, and it was in a machine gun uh, turret or above. Uh, they, they, the Humvee rolled over two captured 155-millimeter howitzer mm. shells. It killed the driver and blew Michael Jernigan out of, of, the, uh, of the Humvee. And a civilian wound, wound, civilly wounded another person. So um, he called his mother. We brought him down to, uh, to Southeastern Guide Dogs when he came back to St. Petersburg. Southeastern Guide Dogs is in Palmetto, Florida, which is like right outside of Sarasota, Bradenton. And uh, got him a guide dog. He had something America had never heard of, uh, or very few Americans. Uh, we had neighbors in our, a neighbor, Eric and I, growing up, in the fifties, uh, from and the man was always shaking like this. My father, I used to ask Dad, Daddy, what's wrong with him? He said he's shell shocked. What is that? He was a World War II, was a Marine, mm-hmm. and it's we now call post traumatic stress disorder. So, my Corporal Michael Jernigan, uh, all you just see is black. We got him a beautiful guide dog. It didn't. He still had to, uh, obviously as I would all any of us had just lost your vision as a twenty five year old virile Marine. And man, he would have there been some a lot of issues there. At post traumatic stress, he came back a year later, and then he and I started a program called Pause for Patriots, and it's morphed. It supplies guide dogs, uh, post traumatic stress dogs to the entire United States military for free, and we cover all fifty states. Uh, there's 22 veterans a day are killing themselves in this great country. That's awful. We've given out over 250 of these dogs uh, to veterans. There's no charge. And we cover all 50 states. We've never lost a veteran to this terrible suicide, my lady. And that's what's, what's happened. You know, you like to quote my good friend, Carlos, our good friend, Carlito, Carlos Fonte, build it and they will come. Like we built the cigar family and we get people before COVID. We had, we were, people dying to go down there to see it. And they, and they will see it again afterwards. The factory in the Dominican Republic and cigar family complex. But, um, what uh, Eric and I were at a Rotary meeting back in 2007, and uh, the commander of special operations, so your listeners will know, MacDill Air Force Base is 10 minutes from here. It's on the South Peninsula of Tampa. It's the headquarters of the United States Special Operations, which they govern everything, the, the SEALs and uh, Green Beret, uh, MARSOC, which is Marine Special Operations, AFSOC. Um, and uh, you're not supposed to say this, Delta Force, SEAL Team 6, everything is coming out of 10 minutes from here. Mm-hmm. Also, in Tampa, is the headquarters of CENTCOM, Central Command, where the global war and terror had been fought. So uh, Eric and I were at a Rotary meeting, and one of our speakers in 2007 was the commander, four-star commander of Special Operations, Doug Brown, and uh, he heard about his story. He said, you need to see Secretary Rumsfeld and tell him your story. So oh, that'd be great. I'd love to. How do I meet him? He said, I'll take you up in my in my Gulfstream 5. So we took some dogs with us, met Secretary Rumsfeld, and he was relieved of command by George, uh, by President Bush at, after that. And he said, and Secret- this is public information, transparent, everything we tell you. Secretary Rumsfeld sent me a check for $40,000 for Southeastern Guide Dogs, as that was the time at the time. Took two years and forty thousand dollars to train these animals. Today it's two years and seventy thousand dollars. But we've had a, a wonderful run. 
with this. Uh, we had the Medal of Honor convention uh, in Tampa back in October, and the Southeastern Guide Dogs was awarded uh, a special um, uh, a special gift from uh, Medal of Honor Foundation, and the American Airlines gave us a million miles to so we bring our veterans in. For, for free, so they oh, can wow. fly in. That's really cool. And so it's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's been a, a wonderful uh, operation, a uh, wonderful ride. Shira Martin, our CFO, she's got, oh, she, she has a, a, a breeder dog, a drop dead gorgeous golden retriever. And uh, so we had a million dollar budget in 2000. Today it's just under $15 million. And we've been able, we have about a six month waiting list. So my message to you all and to your listeners, Jeff and Nick, is that if you know someone that needs a a guide dog, a service dog for for post-traumatic stress, an emotional support dog, a a gold star family, which is the families that have lost a member uh, of of a mother or father in combat or training. And uh, we have gold star uh, family. We have dogs for these, these families. Let us know. Contact have to contact you. Contact me or contact the school guide dogs with an s dot org, and uh, we'll, we'll take care of them. There's Fantastic. no charge. That's awesome. Fantastic. And again, that's Southeastern Guide Dogs, and uh, the it, the website for that is uh, guide dogs dot org. Right, guide Fantastic. dogs with an s dot org. Yeah. So thank you for letting us tell these stories too. Bobby gets passionate. My goodness, he's a <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I have we have several uh, Gold Star families in my county. I we're both journalists by trade. Right? We actually we own, newspapers. own newspapers. Like that's our actual real job is and newspaper owners. I have several Gold Star families in just in my small county in Southern right. Illinois. So, right. so. Well, as, as you run across, you know, as you travel around the country, if if you find someone that needs our service, uh, please let me know. We'll do absolutely. Thanks for letting us tell our story today, guys. Seriously, Bobby, Eric, this has been just an amazing conversation, amazing day. We've had a wonderful time here at El Rey Lowe. Thank you so much for bringing us in and for all your hospitality. It has just been our our pleasure to, Absolutely. to come and visit you guys. Well, thank you. I'm Nick glad that I was able to talk Nick into coming down. <laughs> there you go. What a guy. Kind of not even remotely how that <laughs> happened, but okay. We apologize for our weather. It's only 72 degrees outside. Oh, 60% humidity. No, Nick no, no. said this all day yesterday. Your low temperature here was our high temperature back home. So oh. it it's pleasant. And we're we loving love it. it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We're trying to figure out a way to move down here. <laughs> now, a week earlier, you had gone through a hurricane here, so timing is everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, seriously, seriously, thank you both so much for your time. Thank you for telling our story. It's been absolutely wonderful. Come thank back you. and see us. We will. we will. And everybody else, you need to come out here and visit El Rey Lowe and the Newmans as well. Absolutely. And we're going to hold you gentlemen to that road trip we're going to take. So Absolutely. <laughs> good. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Jeff and Nick. Well, we really want to thank Eric and Bobby for all their time. I mean, they were just incredibly gracious with their time, giving us so much. I mean, I we had planned on maybe about half an hour. If and that, yeah. Then it turned into just a, a awesome conversation about all things J.C. Newman. And we really want to thank them for well, their time. Well, and we just scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. I mean... E- Guys, you go on this tour, there's so much history. There's so many different little avenues that we could go down in conversation that, you know, we just didn't even get to. We just didn't have time to get to at all.
Well, and you know, you, you had people like Nick who gave us the tour and Adria who's worked with us down here and all the other folks. Everyone here is so passionate about cigars and JC Newman and Ybor City in Tampa. I mean, it, and it just oozes out of them when they're talking to you. It's been fantastic. It really has. And guys, there's this awesome little shop in the, on the lobby area where you can buy Americans. And trust you me, can. I did. Oh, I yeah. mean, I actually had to reach out to my bank to find out what my uh, spend limit on yeah. my debit card was <laughs> to make sure that I was covered because I didn't want to get declined. Because so, I banged my head on that last night and Nick had to cover me I, at one place. I did. I did. And thankfully, you got that fixed today. I so did get that fixed. That's good. So, so. Well, I didn't bother to tell my bank I was traveling. Yeah. And then the first Red purchase flags. you do is a $6 purchase at a 7-Eleven followed up by a near $90 purchase at a cigar shop. So guess what happened? Yeah, they thought I, that you were, you know, I got, flagged. I got flagged. So, so anyway, but it's all good now. Yep. Yeah, so good anyway, we have had so much fun. The damn chicken's been running around the place and I, I'm, I'm actually surprised they've put up with that, but they have. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dogs have been chasing him. That's true. So it's okay. Yeah, BF has just been out of control ever out since he control. got out of jail. Yeah, he he just I would have thought jail would have like tamped him down a no, little bit, but it not all that much. Up. Yeah, not wound all that much. Up. So anyway, so Nick, we'd be remiss if we don't mention that uh, we've got a whole new box from my monthly cigars coming up um, for December that we're going to be reviewing. Yes, and we are. Nick, I think it's time that we tell people what is my monthly cigars. My monthly cigars is a premium cigar subscription service where you can get cigars sent to your door every month. They come in a variety of size boxes. You and I get the Robusto box, which is four cigars for $30. They also have the El Presidente box, which is eight cigars for $50. Perfect for hoarding. Two of everything that's in the Robusto box. So it's good for sharing with friends and family. And, you know, you can sit around, smoke the same cigar and talk about it. Or just keep them all to yourself like I do. I would say Jeff just hoards them. So anyway, and both the uh, uh, Robusto and El Presidente box are covered by the MSRP guarantee, which states that the value of the uh, cigars in the box is guaranteed to meet or exceed the price of the box. So you're saving money. Nick, what offer code should they use? You need to use offer code PULPIT. P-U-L-P-I-T. That gets you free shipping on the first box as well as 20% off any of the items in Nick's online store because he not only has cigars that have been in previous boxes, but also other cigars and accessories. You know the one he's got that I really like? What's that? That Ave Maria. Do you hear that? No. I don't know what you're talking about. Are they piping that in? They wouldn't pipe that in here. What in the world? I don't know what you're talking about. (sighs) Quiet as a grave up here. Oh my God. So anyway. So yeah. MyMonthlyCigars.com. MyMonthlyCigars.com. So, Nick. Yes. This has been a blast. I've had a lot of fun today. I know, right? Yeah. Like, I am I'm on overload right now. And, guys, you can see all of our pictures from the day over on our social media. You can. And we have a ton of pictures. Yes. Jeff has been taking lots and lots of pictures. I have. So you need to head on over to Almost Inst- annoyingly so, haven't I? A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. So head on over to Instagram at The Cigar Pulpit or at Naked Gator, N-E-K-K-I-D Gator. That's my page. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You can always reach out to us through CigarPulpit.com. And make sure you get your questions to us for the Ask the Boys segment by calling the Ask the Boys hotline at area code 863-874-0000. My space is still down, but uh, do, we, is, do we have is. MeWe and Parlor yet? Are I, those? I, I have a MeWe page, but... But do I don't. Have a I do, but I don't really put anything on it. It, it it's under Nick Miller, and we so you, as we discussed you know, earlier, the Wee Wee page is a whole different thing. We, we don't. Yeah, Wee yeah. Wee's not something you and I are into. That, no, that's that's the Nambla thing. So oh we're, we're not into that. So anyway, <laughs> so all right. Well, Nick, 
you know, I normally hate traveling with you, but this has been fun so far. Oh, we'll get into the other reasons why I've had issues oh, traveling yeah, listen with to you. The, but listen to the but, upcoming but yeah, show. Yeah, this is part one of our trip to Tampa here. So we'll, we'll be doing a second part that will actually be dropping um, tomorrow. So if you're listening to this on Friday the 27th, bonus episode. we will have a bonus episode on Saturday the 28th talking about all the rest of our trip to Tampa here. So make sure you listen to that. And you can find out about all the annoying things that Jeff has been doing to me and causing me to rage. So. Oh, yeah. It's all me. It's all me. <laughs> well, there's – okay. Admittedly, maybe there's been one or two things that I've done. Yeah, like waking me up at 3 <laughs> in the morning, screaming your head off. Well, now, that wasn't a night terror this time. It was acid reflux oh really bad God. this time. <laughs> it was, I almost called the emergency room. It was bad. Like, I almost called you an ambulance. It was bad. Well, you, as, you asked me if I had COVID, and the problem was my throat was burning so bad I couldn't tell you I no. know. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> anyway. Ooh, a sudden onset of COVID. There you go. So, no, we have had a great time down here. Folks, If seriously, if you're going to be in the Tampa area, even if you're not, plan to come here. Yeah. Because you need to come see this factory. Seriously, if you guys are looking for a vacation spot, a vacation destination, and you're into cigars, I can't think of a better place to go than Tampa and the J.C. Newman tour. Because honestly, you know, I'm one of, it was either Eric or Bobby, I'm thinking it was Eric pointed this out, that, you know, you can go down to Nicaragua, you can go to Honduras, you can go to the Dominican, and you can see all the farms and all the, the rollers and the factories and everything down there. But, you know, with that, you need passports, you need you know, shots, and you're going into, you know, uh, foreign countries, and there's all the elements to all that, you know, this is, it, it helps to know Spanish and whatever else, whereas here, you're literally going to Florida. And this is the, the cigar company in the States. Exactly. This is the factory in the States. Exactly. So, so you got to come here and take this tour, guys. You don't know what you're missing. Exactly. We can, we can talk about it just all we want to, and we can't even begin to explain to you why you need to be here. So make sure you plan your trip to Tampa and visit the J.C. Newman factory. Absolutely. Final thoughts on our cigars? I have really enjoyed that Brick House. Um, it is the uh, Brick House um, Ciento Por Ciento. And, I believe that's uh, correct. And you have the... Uh, you going to try it? I, or, I'm going to butcher it. You know I'm going to... You know I can't pronounce things. Cuesta Ray? The Cuesta Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know I I don't know what specific one because I'm not smoking it. This is really good. Yeah. I've never had this cigar before. These, these have been really I, I've really enjoyed this brick house. It's it's And this it's, is a legacy cigar. This is a legacy brand for this. Yes. Yeah. It's really cool. So well very cool. I can't say enough good stuff. Awesome. Well guys, this has been another sermon from the cigar pulpit. I'm Nick. I'm Gator. Everybody needs to stay safe and stay smoky. <laughs> <laughs>